0: So I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. I am toning down of my use of the screen, and all the people that work in the uh, the soundboard say Amen, or up there in the sound booth say say Amen. Um, I started a series of messages uh, from the context of the Kingdom of God last week. I really feel like it was uh, in, that it was engaging to you. You were you were, you were joined with me. It was uh, our hearts were were sharing and breaking the bread together and I think it's going to be even more so today and, uh, and then I've already got the direction for next week and that's a lot for me because I don't always think that far in advance. So I'm grateful when I have a little bit of time to kind of prepare my heart. Um, I'm very excited about today, very, very excited, actually even more so than I was last week about last week's message. So uh, we're just going to see where the Lord leads us. His presence has already been here today. It's here now. The supernatural presence of a living God who is uh, chosen to uh, to dwell among us, Amen. right, and to allow us to worship Him, we can think, well, God needed us to worship Him, so He created God didn't need anything, right? We need Him, and we're privileged to be able to worship Him today. So, if you'll stand up with me as we read uh, just about ten verses today, not that many uh, uh, verses of Scripture, first in First Thessalonians. Chapter number 2, we're going to read verses 11 and 12. Here it says, as ye know. Now, again, I'm reading from the King James Version, and that will become more (laughs) evident to you shortly. Um, And so the the ye is plural, right? So he's talking to all of us, right? He's talking to the, the, the church at Thessalonica, but I believe he's talking through. He's writing through them, past, generationally. To each subsequent generation of the church, and as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye, every one of us, would walk worthy, would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Now I could pause right there, and we've uh, and just kind of begin to develop it, but but Paul picks this theme up again in the second book, the epistle that he writes to the church at Thessalonica. And we're going to read about, I don't know, seven or eight verses, I think, here. We're going to pick it up at verse number one of chapter number one. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. And so, again... I read this not only in the first century context. I read it in a, in a present day, now pastoral context. And it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the love or the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds. So, so Paul is 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 commending their 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 growing in faith. They're growing in their love towards each other. It's abounding. That's a good season. Isn't that right? It's abounding, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God, and but it wasn't. It was an uncomfortable time because he said, "For your patience and faith, and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure." How many of you know you can grow during times of persecution and tribulation? You can grow in love towards each other. Look at that, verse number five. Now, he says, "It is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God." He addresses that in verses six through 10, that I'm going to omit. I'm not really dealing with that today. He said, but that you, or ye, all of you, may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. That you may be counted. So God's expectation is that we would be counted worthy of the kingdom, even when we're during, uh, finding ourselves in a difficult time. So we jump to last verses, 11 and 12. So here's the prayer of the apostle for the church at Thessalonica. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? So I told you last week, When I preached to you about what is the kingdom, I said, this week I want to talk to you about your purpose in the kingdom. So that's the title of my message, My Purpose in the Kingdom of God. But I put a subtitle to this. And because it's, I think you could already extract it from the text, that we walk worthy of the kingdom. So our purpose in the kingdom is to walk worthy in the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm grateful today. I feel so privileged to be able to share. I feel insufficient feel so limited in my own ability today and i want to humble myself amongst the church family because if you don't put an anointing father god i won't have the ability i cannot speak eloquently enough i can't speak uh with enough uh father god passion if you don't put a sacred anointing god on the words i remember what the writer said he said that you would make my tongue the pen of a ready writer that today father the heart would be parchment And that collectively, God, the gift of God would be at work. And the word of God would be written on the tablet of the heart. I pray that today, Lord, amongst the church family. We walk out of this room today, I pray that we're going to walk worthy. We'll have a greater understanding of the call of God upon our life to walk worthy in the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. You can be seated. I've been preaching for a long time. Now, over well, way past half my life, I've been pastoring for half of my life, and um, I'm nervous a little bit this morning because I'm so excited about the Word of the Lord. And um, I want you to receive. I want you to, I want you to experience in 45 minutes to 50 minutes what I've had the privilege of experiencing throughout the course of the of this past week as I've thought and meditated. I think it's important that I go back for a few minutes and, you know, I'm a a layered pastor. I try to layer upon some things, layer upon the scriptures that I preached last week. It's important for you to kind of understand where I'm at. So I started with what is the kingdom of God, this theme, the kingdom of God, a common theme throughout the scriptures, especially in the gospels, correct? And we talked about it last week that um, it was a prominent belief that was held in Judaism and certainly in the early church, it was an expectation that the, the Jewish culture possessed that when Messiah would come, Messiah would establish uh, the kingdom of God on the earth. That it, it, would, be, it would be a natural kingdom. It would, be the, it would be as it was in the days of David. It would be as it was in the days of his son, Solomon. It was said of Solomon, I told you last week, that during the days of Solomon, God made gold and silver as plentiful as rocks on the ground. Now, again, if you lived in the delta like I was as a child, then that, that, that's it's like I'm not even used to seeing rocks on the ground. But up here, I mean, you've seen hillsides just covered with rocks. And if you ever went to Israel, you'll know that those hillsides are covered with rocks. But God, it was, it was a belief that when Messiah came, it would affect everything, including the economy. It would affect the temple. It would affect uh, the, the, the city of Zion where David and the political structure and, and, uh, and Messiah himself would be an intercessor between the people and God and you, I've, I do a lot of preaching about the, the expectations that weren't met that led to Jesus' cru- crucifixion but now you and I have the lens of the Holy Spirit to look back and it's a kingdom that is present it's a present reality but it's also a future promise right and I talked to you about it last week I can't go back and re-preach it to you I want to encourage you to go back and watch the uh, sermon if you have not as of yet I think it will help you the reality is, is that Jesus is the king of this kingdom, right? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you and I, you say, Pastor, well, how can I be a part of this kingdom? Well, you have to be born into this kingdom, right? You have to be born by the Spirit to be in this kingdom. Matter of fact, if you're not even born of this, if you're not born of the Spirit of God, you can't even see this kingdom. This is what Jesus said. He said, if, you, if you're not born of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, You know, that's in John chapter number 3 when he was questioned by those steeped in Judaism. And when Jesus posed that question or or, or gave that, that, that answer to them, they followed up with another question. They said, you said I have to be born. He said, how can I be born again? How can I be born the second time? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's not talking about a fleshly kingdom. He said, but that which is born of the Spirit... His spirit and so there will come a day when we believe that there will be a consummation of that kingdom and it will be the kingdom of God in the earth but till that time we pray father thy kingdom come and Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven and we're advancing that kingdom by faith every time that we walk in obedience to God every time that you and I obey the word of God every time that we follow the precepts and principles of the king we are advancing his kingdom Joe's prayer today about the, uh, the lost, every time that you give witness to, every time that you're testimony to, every time that you minister to someone who, does, who sits in darkness, you're extending the kingdom of God, right? And that's my subject for next week, how, about advancing the kingdom of God. So as you advance the kingdom of God, you often then ask yourself, you say, what about a, a very specific purpose? What is my specific purpose within the kingdom? I think that's a fair question that we probably all should ask. Well, I'm going to be honest. Here's your specific purpose. Serve the king. (laughs) Uh, I tell you what, you don't have to graduate at the top of the class to be able to put that together. But, I mean, it's just the reality in the kingdom of God. But as I thought on this in my meditations, I I felt like that we, we are hindered in our Culture today of understanding the teaching of the kingdom of God because we are not raised in a monarch how do I say this monarchial is that it monarchial uh, kingdom where it's a, it's a it's not a constitutional republic what you and I were given by the forefathers of the United States but it's a it's a kingdom that's ruled by a king and so I know for you and I, we want to try our best to identify with that here in just a few minutes. Now, before we go farther into this, let me reaffirm to you, we are not building or advancing a natural kingdom. There's not a boundary to this kingdom. You can say there's a boundary towards the land mass that's called the United States here on the North American continent. We, got, we have a boundary that's to the north that's shared with uh, Canada. We have a boundary. It's very porous on the southern border. Of the southern border, and uh, but we can say there's the boundary. But see, the kingdom of God knows no boundaries. It's not limited to time or space, correct? And so, so we're trying our best to identify with it. I want you to, because I want you to discover fully and completely your purpose in the kingdom of God. So, when Jesus was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, he taught through natural examples. I told that to you last week, but I want to put a verse of scripture up. To, re, to reiterate this. Mark chapter number 4, verse number 30. So Jesus is teaching here. Now listen. He said, "Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or notice this, or with what comparison shall we compare it? I think that's important because He wanted to share spiritual principles to natural people, so he taught natural examples to teach spiritual principles. In that very passage there in Mark and also in Matthew's gospel where it's the same text, he refers to a sower, a seed, a grain of mustard seed, leaven, treasure, net, householder, and many other things throughout the gospels Jesus used to teach kingdom Principles. He's teaching these principles to a people that are anticipating the coming of the kingdom of God. And so they immediately respond to some level. I think for you and I, again, to understand our purpose in the kingdom, we have to first learn how to identify with living in a natural kingdom, again, which is totally different than what we've been uh, raised and reared in a constitutional republic. The people of both the first century and certainly ancient Israel understood that the civic duty of a citizen of the kingdom was to serve the king. They just understood it. It's to serve the king. Paul writes in Romans chapter number 13, first century, to people who understood this principle, he writes, render therefore, as he writes about governmental leaders, he says, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom is honor. Peter just simply says it this way in his epistle, fear God and honor the king. That's how he says it. So, again, for you and I to understand some degree of our purpose in the kingdom of God, we have to first identify with kingdom living. Let me go ahead and bring you into this. In the constitutional republic that we uh, live in today, and I want to say that, and I'm re- kind of repeating it, and I have to be very careful lest I get it a little bit political, but just I just want to try to balance that so much today you see on the news, it's our democracy, it's our democracy. Well, it's not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. And it's a constitutional republic because, see, your rights and privileges are derived from the Constitution, right? But in a a monarchical, I I, I struggle to say it. I I, I watched three times this morning how to say monarchical. And, And I'm probably still missing it. But with that, and so a kingdom that is ruled by a king, the rights of the citizen come from the crown because all power and authority has been vested in the king. The king is sovereign. Now, we don't think about our elected leaders as being sovereign. We don't think about, especially he who's in the White House today, we don't think about him being sovereign, correct? The king, though, in the type of government that I'm talking about today, the king gets to pick and choose. In America, we get to pick and choose. But in a, the type of government that I'm talking about, the citizens don't get to pick and choose. The king gets to pick and choose, correct? And so your goals and your dreams as a citizen are to satisfy the desires of the king. And I tell you what, that's why when you look back in ancient Israel, anytime that there was a godly king, the people rejoiced because the godly king cared about his citizens. But an ungodly king only cared about his own selfish desires. And we see this all throughout the scriptures of how, especially in the kingdom of Judah, about one in every four king was a godly king that promoted godly values. And about three out of four was an ungodly king who would lead the people into apostasy. And so, but again, it helps us to identify, identify with the kingdom. Because before we can begin to fully understand our Purpose in the kingdom of God, we have to identify with the original intent of the author when he's writing and teaching us about the kingdom of God. So I, want, I found a, a passage of scripture in this journey that really helped me. And it's actually written in a, in, a, from a, in a negative reproof from God through the prophet Samuel. But there is a principle in it. If we'll spin it, you and I are going to have to spin it in order to identify with it. So let me go ahead and ta- uh, connect with it if I can. Because I want, before I begin to just see this unfold in your heart and life today, about your purpose in the kingdom of God, you've got to identify what it was like living in a culture where there was a king. And so for ancient Israel, when they were brought out of Egyptian bondage and through the wilderness journey and even into the possession of the promised land, if you read the book of Judges, you'll find that the scripture says multiple times there was no king in Israel. There was no king in Israel. There was no king in Israel, and God had chosen initially for the children of Israel to not have a king; that they would be a nation or a kingdom of priests themselves. That the nation itself. But there came a moment. There came a moment when the people, the people, so longed to have a king to rule over them. They they approached the prophet at this time. The book of Judges, the time of Judges, 400 years of the history of ancient Israel has come to a close, and the people now are groaning and crying out for a king. Now, I think their motive is unpure because they said this, we want a king like all the other nations around us, a king that'll lead us out to battle, a king that'll go in front of us. And so they approach the prophet Samuel at this particular time. Samuel seems to be the one that God is speaking to. And so they approach him and say, "We want you, like Moses of old, to go and intercede for us before the Lord and tell the Lord that we want a king." And so Moses, or excuse me, Samuel does. And in his conversations with God, God Himself says, "He says that they they're not rejecting you, Samuel, as the judge or the prophet. They're really rejecting me." And he said, "He said, but I'll tell you what. He said, go ahead." Go ahead and give them their desire. That's how Saul was chosen. Does anybody remember that in Scripture? We're not going there. We're going to pause real quickly. But God said to Samuel, he said, Samuel, before you do, you tell them this is what the king's going to do. This is what it's going to be like in this kingdom now that you want a king. And so the writer of Samuel records what Samuel told the people. Now, as, before we begin to read it, though, let me just say this. It's written and it's spoken in a negative context. But for a brief moment, we're going to shift it. We're going to turn it. And we're going to look at it because you and I are in a kingdom. We're in a kingdom, and there's a king that rules and reigns over us, right? And we're going we're gonna, to, so we're not going to see it. Now, obviously, it's negative in the original context, But it's not negative for us today because I thank God that he rules and reigns over my life today. I thank God that I have a king that goes in front of me in battle. Come on, somebody. I thank God that there is a crowned king. Come on, somebody. Yeshua, the living God, that one day is going to return to this earth, right? And all the nations are going to know him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Right, and so we're going to look at it from this lens. We're going to shift it for just a moment, and we're going to read it together. And so Samuel said and told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this is going to be the manner of the king that's going to reign over you. He's going to take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots to be his horsemen, and some are going to run before his chariots. So in essence, he's going to say, They're going to graduate school, they're going to think about, well, this is my career, I'm going to go this direction, and the king's going to say, no, you're going to go this direction, because the king gets to pick and choose, correct? He's going to appoint him, verse 12, captains over thousands, and captains over 50s, and he said he's going to set them to rear his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his instruments of war and his instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, which is perfumers, and your daughters will be cooks and to be bakers. Now, I know that could cause a lot of division between men and women if we're not very careful right here because it seems the women are confined to the kitchen. Oh, no comment. Just let that one alone right there. I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible. Don't shoot the, mail, the messenger, you know what I'm saying? And so it's only going to get better here in a moment. And he'll take your fields and your vineyards. So in essence, it's not their fields, it's the king's field, right? It's not your olive yard, it's his olive yard. Now again, it's written negative, but we're spending it for the positive, right? I'll get to that in just a moment. And he will take the 10th of your seed and of your vineyard and give to his officers and to his servants, correct? Right, that's what he'll do. Now I love verse number 16. He will take your men's servants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And so when I was thinking about this, I I told Sister Sherry, I said, I'm going to go ahead and put this as my subtitle for the Kingdom of God series. The king will put your ass to work. (laughs) But I didn't know if y'all could handle that on the phone tree or not. (laughs) But I just want you to know i'm just preaching the word up here people i didn't write it i just read it verse number 17 he'll take the tenth of your sheep what's that saying to us that's saying we don't own anything we don't own the breath in our lung we don't own the hair on our head you don't own the automobile that you drive you don't own the bed that you sleep in or the ground that you walk on everything is the king's right all that we are is for his glory Every part of our being. You say, Pastor, I'm searching for my purpose in life. I want you to know your purpose in life is to serve the King with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's your purpose in life. You are not your own, you are purchased with a price. He is your sovereign king. He can appoint who he wants to appoint, and he doesn't have to send it to committee. He can choose who he wants to choose. He can place you anywhere in his kingdom. All that you have is his. And I want you to know when you understand that, it just frees you. It just frees you to serve the living God. My purpose, let me tell you what my purpose is. My purpose is to please him in all that I do and all that I am, glory to God, to gracefully and patiently work and serve the king and to do it joyfully. I want to encourage you today, live life with a smile. Raise your head up. You've got a reason to rejoice. The king chose you and put you in his kingdom to serve him. Serve him joyfully all the days of your life. Come on, somebody. Quit living life downcast with your head bent over. Come on, somebody. Lift up your eyes unto the hills which cometh from your help. Glory to God. His countenance will begin to reflect upon you. You should not live your life with a sound countenance when you know that he is your king. Did you know in the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. And Nehemiah got sad in the king's presence. And he was afraid for his own life because in that generation, if if one of the servants of the king was sad in the presence of the king, he could die before the sun went down that day. I want to live life for his glory. You know, I've, I've, I've had some ups and downs in my life like everyone else is. I've had some days where I've had to work out some things. And God's been working in me on a very personal level, and that personal level is, is that I really struggled. I really struggled with the, the direction that the United States is going with and the direction and the culture. And I'll tell you what, God has just begun to, to lift my spirit because, you know what, I, I don't know the future of these United States. I don't know. There's a sadness that can be associated with it, but I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God's not going to fail right? I'm telling you, there, the kingdom of God was in the earth long before the founding fathers gave us the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States, really, to be honest, my rights and privileges is not derived from the Constitution of the United States. They're derived right here from the Word of Almighty God. And so God's been lifting my spirit again by reminding me that I'm more than a citizen of these United States. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Extend His kingdom by light. Extend His kingdom by truth. Send forth thy light in thy truth and i encourage you and this is the word of the apostle to us walk worthy of the king walk worthy of god who's called you into his kingdom and his glory that's the purpose of the king of the king uh, 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 for for you in the kingdom listen the amplified bible says here's what it says about walk worthy live lives of honor let's let's listen live lives of honor moral courage and personal integrity that's how you bring glory to god that's how you bring glory to the king walk worthy everything that i do or say is a reflection of the king what would happen in your life if every day everything that you did you just said you know what everything that i do and say it is a reflection of the king And I want to live my life in a way that brings him glory. What it means to us is we have to exercise restraint. We have to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Come on, right? We, We want to extend his kingdom over the lust of our own flesh, over our own carnal appetites, over our own emotions, right? I don't want my emotions to control me. I want the rule and the reign of God to extend over my emotions, I want the rule and the reign of God to be over my thoughts and my words, where I go, what I do, what I say, that I might bring honor and glory to the king. My purpose is to walk worthy of the kingdom and to advance his kingdom by giving testimony to the majesty and the glory of the king. Now some are called to preach, some are called to speak, Come, some are called to, to share forth the kingdom of God by words, others and all of us to a degree are called to share forth the kingdom of God by deeds, what you do. What you do says as much as what you say, right? And so how you live and what you say should honor your king. If all of us could see, if we could all see that our career, our job, our marital and family roles are assigned by the king, we would view life a little bit differently, wouldn't we? We would. Then you'd go there, you wouldn't say, well, I just, I'm part of a mundane job here. Today. No, this is my opportunity to serve the king. Oh, I'm preaching way better than y'all are shouting right there. I just, I, if you'll get a hold of this, you'll get up tomorrow on Monday morning, you'll feel a little bit differently about clocking in right because sometimes you feel a little bit diminished maybe it's not the career that you chose you know what doesn't mean that that's your end that career could change because he could he could take you from where you're at and put you somewhere else but i'll tell you what if you're not faithful with where you're at then he typically doesn't give you an opportunity to rule over much more right and so get your attitude right and you can walk in the blessing and bring glory to the king our attitudes towards difficulty should still honor the king Paul exhorted the believers in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, that even in the midst of persecution, tribulation, difficult days, you can still honor the king. I'm not saying that you uh, can't address wrong or that you can't speak your mind when you need to. I think we all have to at times. But you do so with his glory in mind. The king wants us to be faithful in a few things, and he can make us master over many things. You know, does everybody know what Tuesday is? Mm-hmm. Now I don't preach about that very often. I almost changed. Matter of fact, my last conversation with Jace on Thursday, I said, "Jace, I don't think I'm going with the kingdom." I so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pick up husbands and wives. But I tell you what, then I got just in the kingdom, and I said I can't. But you know what? The privilege of being the pastor, I can do both. <laughs> so I will tell you what. So so I, I, I here real quickly. I'm just gonna fold this in. This is free. You don't even have to pay me for this. Uh, I want to speak to husbands and wives today, wives and husbands. You can't be negligent, rude, disrespectful, vengeful, bitter, spiteful to your spouse and to your family, and still honor the king, right? Uh, the kingdom of God, listen, has the, God the king has told you as a citizen of his kingdom, that you are husband to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to care for her and to nourish her and to value her. That's the weakest amen right there, men in this church. No wonder we need this coming study in March to teach you how to be that. I want to say it one more time. The king's responsibility that he's given to you as a husband is to love and to cherish your wife and to take care of her. And to give yourself for her, it's what the scripture says. That's your duty as a citizen in his kingdom. And to the wife, it is to reverence or to honor and to respect her husband. Right? And so if you do those two things, I want you to know there's blessing in the kingdom. Here's a verse of scripture that's not written to the husband and wife. It's written just prior to this text in Ephesians 5. It's where Paul addresses husband and wives. But this verse is just written to a Christian relationship. But let's bring it into marriage for a moment. And let's bring it in under the context, I want to be pleasing to the king. If you want to be pleasing to the king as a husband and wife in marriage, let me just challenge you. I want to challenge every person right here. Guard what you say. Start right here. Be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. Husbands and wives, be kind to each other. It grieves my heart. I believe it grieves the heart of the king when I see husbands and wives that are, that are critical of each other. They say things negatively about each other, that don't do kind things for each other. We're to be tenderhearted. We are to be forgiving. We will forgive everybody of every trespass except for the one that we lay down at night with. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? But the word of the Lord is, is that God said that as Christ's sake has forgiven you, we need to forgive. And this one's free as well. Children, what's your responsibility in the kingdom to obey your parents? Right? That's how you please the king, by obeying your parents. So in like manner, in the church, let me just direct it back to the church for just a moment. In the church, you don't get the opportunity to pick and choose who you get to love. I preached it this way before I became so eloquent that I am now. When I preached and thought about the kingdom, I, I used my Burger King analogy. In this kingdom right here, it's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. You can drive into Burger King and either go in or you can drive through the drive-thru and you can say, okay, the Whopper's got tomatoes and it's got pickles and it's got onions and it's got mayonnaise, but I want a Whopper without cheese and I don't want it to have mustard. I want you to put ketchup on it and leave off the, the, the onions and they'll make that Whopper that way. Well, you can't come into the kingdom of God and have it your way. Right? You're not the king, he's the king. Your responsibility is to bend your will, your desires. What you do is to glorify the king. The king said this to you and I we got to submit ourselves to one another. I tell you what, that's one thing we struggle with in the American church. We are not submitted to nobody. I tell you, we're to submit ourselves one to another. Then the writer said, You're to consider one another. And Romans 12, verse 10 says, We're to be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor. Prefer-. Well, I don't like this person. I don't like, I don't know about that person right there. I don't know if I can really or not. You don't get to choose. You can't go up on the board like you can when you stand at Burger King and say, Well, I don't, do I want fries? No, I don't want, do I want a drink? No, do I want tea? This I'm not for sure. Do I want it, do I want it grilled or do I want it baked? And you don't get to do that with God's kingdom. He's the king. You're the citizen in his kingdom. We yield ourselves to him. Right? We don't get to pick and choose. He said, Be kind and affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. In another passage, it said, even above ourselves. So you say, Pastor Brown, what is my purpose? My purpose is to love, serve, and honor the king. To walk worthy of his kingdom. And to grow his kingdom by faith. To advance his kingdom. Are you out there today? So again, the negative of the reign of the king that was warned by Samuel to the people of Israel. It said this, he shall take He shall take. But we spun it to a positive light. Because as God takes, he takes because he chooses. He chooses. He chose you. Come on, somebody. He chose you. He chose you and put you in his kingdom. You were in darkness. You were in sin and wickedness. You were hateful and backbiting And you were lustful, and you were an adulterer, and a fornicator, a drunkard, and a drug addict. But God said, I want you in my kingdom. And by his grace, he reached out to you and took you out of a kingdom of darkness, a darkness and evil and wickedness, and he brought you into a kingdom of light, glory to God, so that you can be a bright and a shining light and reflect his grace and his love to those that are seated in darkness, glory to God. And so I want you to know you can walk worthy of the kingdom because he chose you to be in his kingdom. Glory to God. Man, how freeing is that? How empowering is that? I didn't choose him. He chose me. And he sanctified me for his purposes. So walk worthy of the kingdom. Bring him glory. Bring him honor in all that you do. So there's a familiar story that I want to close with today that I think can reiterate this principle. The principle is, let's go back very, very quickly. Pastor Brown, what's my purpose in the kingdom? To walk worthy. Walk worthy of the kingdom. Serve the king. Right? Live your life every day. Every day saying, Father, I'm going to serve you in all that I do. I'm going to get up this day, and whatever I do, wherever life takes me, whatever, whether it be my day at work or whether it be my day off, I want to live life with a smile. Right? I want to respond to people in love and grace. And when I get agitated and frustrated, I'm going to trust that the spirit of the living God is going to rise up on the inside of me and extend the realm of the kingdom of God over Right? my natural tendencies. My natural tendencies are this or that. But you know what? I don't want to walk by the natural tendencies. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit and bring glory to the living God, right, and extend the kingdom first in here and then that it might go through me. And you say, Pastor Brown, well, I work at that very restaurant you're talking about, Burger King. Well, then get up there tomorrow and serve the Lord, right, with great grace and with a smile on your face. Pastor Brown, I work out here in one of the factories. Get up in the morning, and when you clock in, you know that you're there to serve the king. You're not just there to earn a paycheck. You're not just there to make that product or manufacture that thing. It doesn't matter. You're there that through your life and whatever you set your hand and your heart to do, you're going to live in such a way that when people see you, they know you are a part of the kingdom of God's dear son. Glory to God. That's how God wants us to walk. That's walking worthy. So I found I was reminded of a familiar story on a close with here today. It's familiar to some, it'll be new to others. It's passages contained. We might read it, we might not, I might skim over it. It's the story of Mephibosheth, just very, very quickly today. So, Pastor, who is Mephibosheth? Some immediately know just the mention of his name, but he was the crippled son of Jonathan, who was the firstborn son of that King Saul that I mentioned just previously, who was the first king of ancient Israel That Saul was rejected because of his disobedience to God, and another person, David, was chosen to be king. Before all that could come together, the scripture tells us about a very powerful relationship that was formed, a relationship that was formed with the son of the king, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David, who had just slain Goliath in the valley of Elah. You've read this probably if you've read 1 Samuel, and you know that the Bible says that those two young men, those two young men formed what's called a covenant, a covenant. A covenant was more than a contract. It was more than just an agreement or a friendship or a handshake. Most likely, when you read those words in Scripture, that it means that they formed a blood covenant. It's very possible that, that those two men, those two young men in those days, whose hearts became so knit together that they loved each other so intently and so strongly that when they cut, that it's very possible that those two warriors reached to their side and there with a scabbard pulled out a blade and there that they sliced open the palm of their hand. That they would take that palm that was cut and the palm of the other that was cut and bring them together and form a covenant with each other. They would become blood brothers. And so with it, they made a promise one to the other. They made this promise. The promise was that no matter where we find ourselves, if the opportunity is given to us, that we will show kindness to our children and our children's children. That's the beauty and the power of a covenant. Well, if you know anything at all about the story, you know that Jonathan died tragically in battle one day, fighting alongside of his other brothers and his father on Mount Gilboa. And David was crowned king of ancient Israel. And David was a man of war and a man of blood, but he was a man after God's own heart. And God brought peace to his kingdom And David has progressed. David's family has grown. And there came a moment in David's life when he remembered the covenant. I don't know how he remembered the covenant. Maybe every time that he raised his hands up that he saw right here something that reminded him of that covenant. And there came a moment when he was reminded that... He had made a promise to Jonathan. And this was many years later, many years from the day that blood had been cut out of his hand and dripped on the soil there at his feet. That he, He was reminded that he said, we agreed that we would show kindness to our families even if the other one was gone. And so David asked a servant of Saul... Who's, who's working in David's kingdom now, called Ziba. He said, Ziba, is there anybody left alive of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And Ziba said, and I just, I, I don't know, I fictionalize this. I use, uh, uh, you know, uh, a theatrical thought in my mind that when I try to picture this, I just try to picture it. I can see Ziba standing before the king when he says, David, I'm surprised you didn't know this, but Jonathan's son is still alive. Not his nephew, not his great-great-nephew, not a distant cousin, but one born of his own seed is still alive, and he's living in Lodabar, and he's crippled in both his feet Because a nurse was carrying him when he was five years old, when news came out of Jezreel that the king had died, Saul had died, and Jonathan had died in battle, and she lifted him up, and she ran with him to escape what she believed was sudden destruction, and she tripped, and she, excuse me, I spit like a wild man, and she dropped the child and broke both of his legs. And his legs were not set back in place properly. And the Bible says he was lame from that day forward for the rest of his life. And so now once David's dynasty began to be established, he's hiding out because the tendency of that culture is anytime there was a change in the uh, dynasty from one king to another, they would often hunt down the remaining seed of the previous dynasty and kill them. You go back in history, you know that for a fact. And so he's hiding in Lodabar, afraid that one day David will find his location and bring him and have him killed. And one day he hears the sound of chariots stop out front of his house, a knock on the door. David's armed soldiers are opening the door, and he knows this is the day the days ran from, the days hidden from for all these many years. The men grab him up, he grabs his crutches, put him in the, in the whatever, the chariot. And they go from where he's living in Lodabar, and they bring him back to the palace. I'm sure, this is me just being theatrical, I'm sure that when they got him there, they cleaned him up. He had been living in poverty, living in hiding. He's about to go in. King David's got a table set. King David's got his sons at the table. So they're going to clean him up. They're going to put different clothes on And Can you imagine the confusion in his mind when they take off his clothes and they put on him a royal attire. Can you imagine what he's thinking? He's pondering. he doesn't know what to think. And I can only imagine that before he comes in there, David is in this this banqueting room. I'm closing. There's no more. There's no more text. This is it. I'm just sharing this story. You can find it written in Second Samuel chapter number nine. I'm just paraphrasing and adding what my mind thinks of when I think about this because it's teaching me how to walk worthy of the king of the kingdom. I could just see David saying this. I could see David before Mephibosheth is brought in, David standing over the table that his sons, he's got a number of sons, Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, Shephatiah, Ethram, and Keliab at the least. He had many more, but perhaps at this time at least these six sons. I could just see David looking at his sons and saying to his sons, boys, you remember, you remember And turn his hand to him. Remember my my friend that I told you about? My blood brother? Jonathan, you remember Jonathan? I found out that his son is still alive. And he's in the other room. And he's about to come in here. He's about to come in here. And I want you to show him what I'm going to show him. I want you to show him kindness. The door opens. And in their mind, I know they pictured one thing and another They get another example. In their mind, they picture a Jonathan, the son of Jonathan, strong and bold. And here's a weakened young man who can't stand without the aid of two crutches. He's lame on both of his feet. And he's walking, and he falls prostrate before King David. And he says, why would you want me? I'm just but a dead dog. And David lifts him up, and he says, Mephibosheth, I want you to sit with me at this table for the rest of your life. Now, I still, I go from trying to think like David to then trying to think like Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth it's prostrate on the ground. I'm not making this up. Read it. 2 Samuel 9. He fell down and did reverence. He's hoping and praying for mercy that God, or that David will be merciful to him and not kill him for simply having been born of another family lineage. And David then, I try in my mind, I go from Mephibosheth to David. David then comes over to him, gets up and comes over to him, pulls his hands back. And as he does, once again, Mephibosheth lifts up his eyes. Maybe he remembers it. Maybe he doesn't. He sees a mark on the palm of David, and he thinks to himself, where have I seen that mark again? And he remembered that same mark on the hands of his father when his father held him long years ago. And maybe something is about to click inside him, and David raises him up and says, you're going to sit. Ether, Move over. Amnon, move over. Absalom, move the chair. Let's put him right here. And they help pick him up, and he walks to the seat that's been prepared for him, and he sits at the table. And I could just see the king looking at at Mephibosheth and saying to Mephibosheth, I chose you to be in this kingdom, I chose you to sit at this table. You're lame on both your feet. But I want you to walk worthy of the kingdom to the glory of God. And I want you to know today, some of you don't feel worthy. Some of you are broken, you're hindered, you're restricted, and you're restrained. But let me tell you, whatever you do, you still walk worthy of the king that loved you and saved you and redeemed you and called you unto his own. Walk worthy of the King. Daryl, join me on the platform if you would today. Pastor Brown, I just want to know what my purpose in life is. That great question that we often all ask. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? It's to serve the king. I can't make it any simpler for you. It's to serve the king. Pastor, I don't feel worthy. Every, I, I pictured this. I don't know, and please take no offense in this, and anybody was handicapped, but he was lame on both of his feet. For him to sit like that, I could see that he would lay the crutch at one, and he would have to pick up this leg. He pick up the other leg, lay the crutch down. He was lame on both his feet, but he could still walk worthy of the kingdom, and so can you you can get up and say, Pastor, you don't know what my struggle is. I I don't have to know what your struggle is. I just simply know this. He chose you. He chose you, and he put you in his kingdom. You can walk worthy. You can walk worthy of the king. Pastor Brown, you don't understand. I was victimized as a child. I I don't understand that. I don't have to. You can walk worthy. We should have gone through divorce. Pastor Brown, I've been divorced three times. Pastor Brown, can you identify? With, I can't identify. I don't have to. You can walk worthy of the King. I was born in poverty. It matters not. You can walk worthy of the King. He chose you to his kingdom. So Paul writes the epistle to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, Man, we've been talking about you. And your love is growing and you're maturing. You're not there yet. There's probably still some crippled areas in your life, but you can still walk worthy. You can walk worthy of the King and you can walk worthy of the Kingdom. So, my second message in the Kingdom of God series comes to a close. My exhortation to you is today the same that the Apostle Paul gave us 2,000 years ago, even in persecution. Even in trial, even with brokenness, even with hurt, even with difficult situations in your life, even when everything's not exactly like you want it to be, you can walk worthy. That's a word for somebody here today. Pastor, I feel rejected right now because I'm going through a divorce. You can still walk worthy. Are you hearing me today? Pastor Brown, I lost my job this week. I don't know how, what, I don't know how ends are going to meet you can walk worthy. He'll make a way for you. I read that he's never see the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. Do you know, I have to imagine up until that time that Mephibosheth spent a lot of hungry nights. Wouldn't y'all think that way possibly? If he's hiding, he probably didn't even go out much. He probably didn't go out much because he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to be, he didn't want the word to get back to David. Where he was at, he probably was hidden. He probably had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hunger-filled nights. (laughs) But everything changed. When David said, Mephibosheth, for the rest of your life, you're going to eat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth felt unworthy. It didn't matter how he felt. I know if you Google Search felt it usually not used how we use it, but it makes sense in my mind. It doesn't matter how he felt on that moment or in that moment. What mattered was he had been chosen by the king. Change the way you live, change the way you act, change the way you talk. Don't treat people the way you used to. right? Because he chose you to be a part of his kingdom. You're in his kingdom that's your purpose that's your purpose your occupation is just an opportunity to testify to the people that you work with every day sometimes verbally but always with our deeds and our attitude right of the glory of the king i hear the lord calling people today he's calling people to his, to his kingdom He's calling people to his kingdom. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time. I have preached my heart out to you today. I'm not taking you in deep theology. I don't have to have a master's degree or a Ph.D. to share the doctrine that I share today, and you certainly don't have to in order to have heard it. But there is a layer to it. There is a depth to it. The kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here now. He said the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That means they come pressing into the kingdom. There could be somebody under the sound of my voice today that you're outside the kingdom. You're outside. I'm going to give a two-fold invitation. A two-fold invitation here today. Number one, If you're not in the kingdom, the only way to be in this kingdom is to be born into this kingdom by the Spirit. By the Spirit. See, when you repent of your sins, God breathes into you. He breathes into you His Holy Spirit. And when that Spirit of God joins with your Spirit, He brings you out of darkness, out of a kingdom of darkness, out of death. Out of rebellion, out of wickedness, out of hurt, out of sorrow, and he brings you into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the best I can explain it to you. It's a it's a faith. It takes faith to receive it. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Brown, today, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? I want to be a part of that kingdom. I'm I'm just being honest, I'm outside that kingdom. I'm like Mephibosheth. I'm in Lodabar. I'm not in David's palace. Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to move from where I am to where he's calling me to be. If that's you, slip your hand up. I'll pray with you today. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else here today? Anyone else today? Thank you. I see a hand. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray collectively. I want to ask everybody to stand up with me today. He said, Pastor, that was number one. That was first. He said, you're just going to give a twofold invitation. I just think it would be most appropriate, if, again, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual, I think it would be just appropriate to conclude this message about walk worthy, if that, if that reflects your heart today, that you would walk forward and present yourself to that king today. If you're here today and you're willing, I'm going to ask all who will to just join me. Something happens when we move. Something happens when we step out. Something happens. When you come forward, you're simply saying, I'm coming today. I'm coming to honor the king. I'm coming to submit to the king. I'm coming to yield all that I am to the king. I am coming. To, I may be broken. I may, I may be like Mephibosheth. I may be lame on both my feet. But He's calling me. He's calling me into His kingdom. He's calling me. His call's on my life. I want to bring Him glory. I want everything that I do and all that I am to reflect His grace in my life. I want others to see the goodness of the King in me. So I want to ask you today, as you're walking and you've come to the front, I want to encourage you, present yourself to the King. Present your faculties. Present your thoughts and your imaginations. Let the kingdom of God rule over your flesh right now. Pastor, you don't understand. I struggle with this in my life. Let His grace rule over it right now. Rule over it. Pastor, you don't understand where I was wounded and I was hurt. I was victimized. Let His goodness and His mercy overwhelm that today in Jesus' name. Your strength is for Him. Your relationships are for him. Everything that you are for the glory of God, for the living God. And I feel Jesus in here today. Don't you, church family? I feel him today. I've still got to pray. A couple of people raised their hand. But I just feel in my heart, my job as your pastor is to just exhort you to walk worthy of the kingdom of God. You've stepped forward. You've stepped out of the seat where you were seated at. And you've come to the front because you're expressing somehow, some way. there's something spiritual that takes place by the movement of your feet while you move towards the front of the church. And you move forward and you say, I want to walk worthy today. Help me, Father, to walk worthy. May I bring you glory and honor. Let's pray that prayer. I've got a couple of prayers today to pray. Father, today I pray with my church family. Not just for them, I pray with them that we will walk worthy. That we'll walk worthy. That we'll treat people differently. We'll walk in love. We'll be forgiving one to another. God, the areas of our life where the flesh has still reigned, I want your kingdom to reign. Come on, somebody. Where the flesh has still reigned in my life, my attitude my resentment, my bitterness, God. I want your mercy and your grace to reign in those areas, God. I want to walk and live free. I want to live free to serve the king in his kingdom. I bless the people, God, today. They've come to the front, the majority of which, God, the overwhelming majority, all have professed faith in Christ, God. For they profess faith and they serve you and they love you. And they've responded to this message today. They've responded because they want to walk worthy. They want their life to bring you glory. They want their testimony to be about your goodness, God. They want others to see them and to inquire about their king. And I pray that you'll bless them, God. I pray that you will bless them that no matter what they do or where they go, If they're like Mephibosheth and they're still lame in some areas that matters not, God, you're still going to use them, Father, to bring you glory. I pray over them today. There were a couple of individuals that slipped their hand up and said, I want to be born into this kingdom. Church family, you believe that today? Can we pray together? Can we pray? It's a simple prayer, and if if you were one that raised your hand today with this, I want to ask you to pray. It's a prayer. You might even be familiar with this prayer. Maybe you've even prayed it in the past, but for whatever reason, you don't believe that you would mix faith with it. You have to mix faith. It's a simple prayer. How am I born into this kingdom? You're born in this kingdom by trusting the king. You trust Jesus Christ's death on the cross. We acknowledge our sin before the Lord. Will you all do that with me right now, especially the two that raised their hand? We acknowledge our sin. We say these words. There's no exact right or wrong formula. I guess there could be a wrong formula. There's no exact formula in Scripture. But I'm just going to tell you, we just simply confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. We ask the Lord to forgive us. We say, Lord, forgive me of all my sin. It's a simple prayer. Lord, forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And we say things like this. Lord, I believe. Is anybody praying that with me right now? I hope so. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the tree. He was buried and was raised again to the right hand of the Father. And I believe today that he's received me into his kingdom. I'm going to follow him as my king all the days of my life and serve him joyfully in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Let's split.